Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, I ask you now that as we uh, move into our consideration of your word and the message of this day, I ask you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, not just what we think, but what we feel, our attitudes. May you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, uh, amen. Well, I've been giving quite a, quite a bit of thought to uh, what I ought to be preaching uh, in the next dozen sermons or so because I'm getting ready, as you know, to retire as a senior pastor, assuming that you allow me to do that at the congregational meeting after church. And we are barring the doors, by the way, so you cannot just leave. I love you, and you've loved me for 25 years. Um, what should I emphasize? What should I talk about? And it dawned on me that there are several life lessons that that you will never regret learning. We all need encouragement, however, to learn those lessons. And so I have entitled a short series, and I don't know how long it will last. I do want to do a a, a series um, on the book of Job, believe it or not. It's a wonderful book. I want us to look at that in the coming weeks. But... I've entitled this series, even if it isn't week after week, even if it breaks up a little bit, Regrets You Will Never Have. In other words, uh, you know, at the end of your life, or you look back on your life, uh, there are things probably that you will regret. But there are certain things that you will absolutely never, ever, ever regret. Even though at the time it seems so difficult. But you'll never regret these things. And so today I want to begin with this, that when the time comes and you start looking back on your life, one thing you will never regret is having been generous. You will never regret it. You will never say, I was too generous. You'll never say that. Your acts of generosity will be among the highest points of your life and you're going to return to those memories of your generosity again and again and the sweetness of those moments when you said said yes will lessen the sting of memories when you felt tempted to be generous but didn't follow through you hear my odd use of that word tempted here generosity is not sin but oftentimes (laughs) We can resist it as if it were. There are times when we talked about being generous, when we thought about being generous, maybe committed ourselves to being generous, but just couldn't pull it off. Or we put it off until we forgot. But I'm telling you, honestly, when you forget to be generous, that forgetfulness is not permanent. It will come back to you. This may not be a tendency in the best of us, but it surely is a tendency in the rest of us. And so we have this example in the New Testament. Paul devoting two chapters of 2 Corinthians to calling on the church to finish what it had begun. To honor a commitment it had made an entire year earlier to send an offering in support of the persecuted and the impoverished church in Jerusalem. And then after going on and on about this in a very powerful appeal 
Paul punctuates it with this exhortation or by adding this announcement that, by the way, he's also sending Titus and Apollos to collect it. That's pretty good. What's the significance of this term, generous? Why do we say this of a person who who acts contrary to his or to her natural uh, selfishness? Well, generous fundamentally means noble. It fundamentally means noble. Originally it meant a generous person was a person of noble birth. And the idea was that, that people, that there are people in the world who from birth are unlike other people. They are in a class by themselves. They are magnanimous in a way, or charitable or generous in a way that other people simply are not. And of course this is not true. The ranks of the so-called noble classes of the earth have been as riddled with greed and cruelty and small-mindedness and viciousness as any other ranks. In fact, maybe even more because they have opportunities to do things that people who don't have that social financial status um, can't do. But even though this is the case, the sort of genetic nature versus nurture understanding of what it is to be generous, even if it's false, the truth is that it is noble to be generous. It is a noble accomplishment to become a generous person. It is as much an achievement as earning a PhD or showing courage under fire in combat. And as you know, to this day, the most generous people in the world are poor. The poorer people. So often in the West, we give out of our surplus. In the third world, people give out of their poverty. And how many times has someone stood in this pulpit, having come back from a short-term mission trip, and told you they just could not believe the gracious generosity and hospitality of the people they were going to serve in the third world? You all know about the poor widow that uh, Jesus observed and the Gospel of Luke, she gave all of her money to the temple, just two small coins, all she had, the tiny ones, not even worth a penny, but she gave them both, and that's all that she had, and you know how Jesus honored her for her generosity. But I think the question I'd raise with you this morning was how could she do that? What did she know that other people don't know? Was she just being foolish? Was she so foolish she didn't know she was foolish? Or was her attitude that, well, you know, this is so little, it doesn't even matter to me. I'm just going to give it away? Let me tell you, ask a question. If you're in a situation in life where you have one car and it's a beater, you know what I'm talking about. I've had them for years. I know know what old cars are. I've driven them for many, many years. I drove them for many years. You have one car, do you say to yourself, oh, you know, this car is worth so little, I'm just going to give it away. You don't do that. You need it. It means more to you. I don't think there's any reason to believe this widow diminished the value of what she had. But this is what this widow knew. This is what she knew. She knew that generosity had not caused her poverty. And she knew that generosity would not add to her poverty. She knew that. The fear that so many of us have, she did not have because she knew, she knew the truth. 
You know, last week I was Googling <laughs> the causes of poverty. And there are a number of lists of the causes of poverty on the World Wide Web. And they basically agree with one another. I found one list of the nine leading causes of poverty by a you know, human rights organization. Wikipedia lists 18 causes of poverty. But you know, and I looked down that whole list, generosity never appeared as a cause of poverty. It was not a cause of poverty. Generosity does not cause this, mis this misery. And it does not add to this misery. Though this is the fear that often extinguishes the impulse when it comes to us to be generous. Or perhaps when I say this, you say, well, you know, it really doesn't apply in my case. No, no, to me, it really does matter. Do you think generosity is foolishness for you? Do you think that if you were generous, you would not have enough for yourself? Because I think most people do. Listen, this is interesting. Where the Bible talks about generosity, and it speaks to this point many, many times. When it talks about generosity and teaches generosity, this is the, this is the point it makes in most of the contexts where it talks about generosity. It talks about just this point of the fear that keeps people from being generous. Generous. It's interesting, isn't it? If you look at the Bible, it doesn't appeal to generosity on the basis of need. It's not, not typically. I'm not saying that never happens because it does in a couple cases, but typically it doesn't. It doesn't appeal uh, to the basis of all the good that will be done and all the people that would be helped. But it simply is teaching again and again that no matter where you are in your life, no matter what your situation, your circumstances, or the circumstances of others, generosity is simply a matter of wisdom. It is a matter of wisdom. And you all know what wisdom is. Wisdom is believing and acting in what God tells us about reality. We believe and we act on what God tells us about reality. Because he made the world, we didn't. Because he knows how things work, and we don't. And because he makes them work that way, and we can't do a thing to change it. And that part of the Bible then most focused on generosity, interestingly enough, is the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. And the person who taught more about generosity than anyone else was not a wealthy King Solomon. In fact, he was a very probably middle class, lower middle class individual, Jesus, who was the very expression of wisdom and of truth. And what you see, I'm saying, is that God's wisdom takes aim at our, at our foolishness about this. I'm using Proverbs language. There's wise and there's fool. It takes aim at our foolishness. And, and what is this? What is this foolishness? What is this, this idea that snags people so often? And I think the idea is just this assumption. That when it comes to generosity, life is a zero-sum game. It's a zero-sum game. If I'm generous toward other people, their gain is my loss. You know, the net result is always zero. It's a zero-sum game. So if I give to others, or I give to this effort, or that cause, or whatever, it is always at my expense. Others benefit at my expense. I can't afford that. I am looking at the numbers in my account, and for me to go in and be generous, or make the gift, or whatever, essentially I'm stealing from myself, and I'm not willing to do that. 
Life is a zero-sum game. And that is a myth. That is not true. And that is what the scripture speaks to again and again and again. So I want to give you three passages, actually four, from the book of Proverbs and one from Jesus. And as I read each one, we're going to see how God's wisdom overturns our foolishness, which is great. Just like when Jesus overturned the money changers' tables in the temple. So here's the first proverb, and it's in your program, and you can look at it. It's Proverbs 19, verse 17. This is what it says. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Isn't that remarkable? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. In other words, what the wise book is teaching is that generosity is not a matter of losing. It's a matter of lending. God promises to repay. God obligates himself to the generous. Isn't that remarkable? Look at another proverb. This is very similar. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Well, let's go on to the next point. Generosity is not a matter of losing. It's a matter of lending. That's the way we're taught to think about it. It's a wise way to think about it because God is faithful to us. Proverbs 28, 27 teaches this. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Those who give to the poor lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Those who give will lack nothing. Here generosity isn't just a matter of, it's not a matter of losing, it's a matter of insuring against loss. They will lack nothing. It doesn't make you less secure, it makes you more secure. You see how wisdom takes and turns on its head our conventional wisdom, what we think is wise. Proverbs 11 verses 24 and 25 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so here, this idea will gain even more. Now, this is not a health and wealth sermon. I'm not telling you how to get rich by giving money to the church. That's not what the sermon is about at all. But what wisdom in Proverbs is teaching us Again, generosity, it is a matter of investing. It's not divesting. You'll end up with even more. Now, why does the scripture speak this way? Because it's nailing home this idea again and again. Don't think generosity is a zero-sum game. God has given you, loaned you. He's your master. He's loaned you everything. And he's a good God. And he'll be gracious to you. He'll be gracious to you. It's a matter, really, I think generosity is a matter of serving God, who's the most reliably generous master, rather than wealth. The accumulation of wealth, which in itself is an idol. The least reliable master promises everything, but guarantees nothing. How many of you were around in 2008, you know, and you, were, you had maybe your 401ks or your retirement accounts or whatever, and boom, one night, 40% was gone. Gone, boom, just like that. You don't think that'll happen again? You think our economy's that stable? You think that economists are that, are that wise? Do you think that we can, as nations, 
can accumulate the kind of debt that we have and if there's no, there's no day when everything comes due, when things don't crash down, to trust in wealth really is foolishness. It's foolishness. We serve the most reliable and the most gracious and generous of masters. And wealth accumulation is not gracious and it's not generous. And it will mislead you. Let me come to Jesus. Jesus in, John's, in Luke 6.38 spoke. He said this. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will pour into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And here the analogy is actually sowing seed, being a farmer. The benefits of generosity are like the benefits of sowing seed. You're not discarding, you're sowing, you're planting. It's not a zero-sum game at all. The consequences of generosity are blessing all the way around. And you see to it. You know what it's like to sow. You take one seed, you put it in the ground, the wheat grows up, and how many seeds do you have left? It's not a zero-sum game. That's why you plant it. These are the analogies of the ways Scripture talk about generosity. Because God is sovereign. And God is your financial manager. Or should be. <laughs> Let him take care of your hedge fund. I talked earlier about, um, about the Apostle Paul's appeal to the Corinthians to act on their desire to be generous after they kind of shilly-shallied for a year. And this is, after two chapters, this is how he closed it out. He said this, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. He said the point is this, and I like that, because sometimes, honestly, I don't know when Paul comes to the point, but he says here, this is the point. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's not talking about agriculture. He's talking about generosity. He said each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may have abound in all work, in every good work. That he who supplies seed for the sower and the bread for food, he will supply and multiply your seed. He will, you hear that? He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, I said earlier to you that generosity in Scripture is mainly taught as a matter of wisdom. And that wisdom has always been a matter of believing and then acting on what God has said about reality. I mean, it is a matter of trusting in the truth that God maintains throughout His creation. And the whole point of this then, generosity, not only is a matter of wisdom, but it's wisdom with faith. Biblical wisdom is, is, is a faith venture. To bring this to the point, in Malachi 3, verses 10 to 12, God challenged his people. He said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Test me in this, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there's no more need, 
then all nations will call you most blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now that to me is one of the, it's a unique passage in all the Bible. And it's striking to me. If you hear what God is saying, he's saying, I have something to prove to you. But you will not give me the chance. You need to test me. Test me with your generosity. It's not a zero-sum game. God is guaranteed. It's not a zero-sum game. He will not make you poor. He will not keep you poor. It, it, has, it has nothing to do with poverty. It never has. And it has nothing to do with how much you have. It never has. Timothy Smith, Timothy L. Smith, is the chief development officer. Let me ask, anybody gone to the Museum of the Bible? A lot of you have. Well, Timothy Smith is the chief development officer or fundraiser at the Museum of the Bible, and he's been in the business of raising funds his entire career. And he makes this observation about generous people, and I want to encourage you, if you want to follow or learn more, just type in Timothy L. Smith in Google, and this article will come up. Read the whole article. It's extremely instructive. Because he really does understand, after 40, 50 years of doing this, he really does understand what generosity is about. But he says, generous people, generous people give us a byproduct of their own personal transformation. Like Zacharias in Luke 19, who moved from being a money collector to a money giver. And Timothy Smith writes this. He says, I've seen this repeatedly with givers who at some extraordinary moment in time suddenly realize why they are here. Not simply to exploit their ability to accumulate wealth, but to create a story that is much greater than themselves. I think that's powerful. You remember that boy. Do you remember that boy who was listening to Jesus and all the wonderful things that he did or, or said. And then he was watching Jesus and all the wonderful things, the miracles and so forth that he was doing. And he was there in a big crowd. And as the, as the teaching went on, as the days went on, uh, the needs of real life began to creep in. Even when Jesus is the speaker and he's doing miracles, you know, you, you know once in a while, uh, nature kicks in. And so he grew hungry. The little boy got hungry. And the crowd that he was with got hungry. He had brought just a few loaves, five loaves, the Bible says, and two little smoked fish, little, little things, uh, to just enough for himself to tide him over. But others hadn't even brought anything. And so this disciple who had, was with Jesus approached this little boy, and he asked if he had anything to eat. And you can just imagine this little boy unwrapping very carefully and maybe so surreptitiously a little cloth and showing him these, these little brown rolls and these two little smoked fish. And the disciple, the disciples ask him if, if he would be willing, if he would give them over because the master had use for them. Now, what did the little boy do? He gave them. Why did he do that? Well, maybe he was sitting there thinking about it, you know. 
And he was thinking this way. You know, for me, I'm eight years old, I'm nine years old, but I'm, I'm a pretty bright bulb in the socket. You know, this really isn't losing, this is lending. This isn't suffering loss, this is insuring against loss. I'm not divesting my, what I have, my asset here, I'm investing. I'm not discarding this bread away, I'm actually sowing for harvest. Maybe that's the way he was thinking. Or, or maybe he realized that he was being given the greatest privilege in the world to be useful to that amazing purpose, Jesus, and his purposes. And of course, you know what happened. He ended up with more than he would have had if he'd held on to what he had. Because in the kingdom of God, generosity is not a zero-sum game. And for that little boy, it was more than enough. And I end with this simply because today, sitting where you are and where I am, standing, we are that child. We are that child. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the way you teach it to us in the scriptures. I thank you that you don't, you really don't gild us or browbeat us about these sorts of things. And there are lessons of wisdom in the scripture that I think probably take most of us years and years to learn and to accept as we're growing in our own faith and maturity and in our worldview, as our worldview becomes more accurate to what reality is, as we really actually see for ourselves how life works and how you work things out for us in our lives. Uh, you do cause all things to work together for good. But Lord, we're not here to, you know, cheerlead each other, but to really reflect seriously on the nature of generosity and that it's good. And Lord, at the end of my life, I look back and there are times I'm very keenly aware when I wanted to be generous, when I even said I would be generous. I certainly said it to myself, if not to others, and I did not follow through. Or I said nothing at all. I look back now and I ask myself, why not? Why didn't I? But Lord, there's nothing, there is, there's never a time when we will look back on life and say we were too generous. That when we went that extra mile, when we did those extra three bench presses, uh, we were not stronger as a result. So please teach us about generosity, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.